Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Everybody, we're excited. We're, this is Just Antoine with Let's Get Growing. Man, we are on day 14. Can you believe it? God has been good. He has been faithful. And we're just looking to see what he has to say further to us. See, we, we just have to come to grips that um, we can't do this alone. We we just we just need to have some help. We need to have some. Um, so let me put it this way: Jesus said, "If you're having problems with life, he said, if you if you're heavy laden and burdened, he said, come to me and I'll give you rest." He says, "Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy." and my burden is light. So he realized that you couldn't do it by yourself. He says, but when you're tired, when you get fed up, when you start, when you wanted to stop bumping your head against the wall, he said, come on, come on. He says, and then I'm going to lead you. That's what a yoke does. It, it, it leads oxen through the field. And so he says, I want to lead you into all truth. And so we know that God uh, uses man, right, and uses different vehicles to bring about that uh, direction and that guidance that he wants to give you. And so he definitely put this on my heart to let's get growing and 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 starting this men organization and and just allowing God to really uh, take us to that next level and, and inspire us to be evangelistic and, and ministry minded um, type of people, you know, mission minded, you know, um, because there are so many people that's hurting and they need to uh, get some direction and some help with their troubles. And so that's what that's what inspired me. Amen. Um, to do this is to allow God to really use me as a vessel and use this uh, series as a vessel to do some transformation, you know, and if it's just one person and then they can impact their child and that child can impact, I don't know how many people, but you know, uh, you know, you just never know. You just never know. You know, God says that, you know, uh, Apollos, uh, sows the seed, Paul waters, but God has to give the increase. And so we realize that, you know, I, I may be sowing, I may be watering, but God is the one who's going to give the increase. And so we're, we're excited about it. We're in session two of, um, let's get growing man volume, um, three praise God and, um, our, our day 14. So, uh, we we thank God for it. So let me go ahead and cue this up here and give God the praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Last week, we introduced a new framework, a new way to think of idols that helps us to begin the process of understanding them. The better we understand them, the better we can deal with these three deep idols of control, significance, and comfort that is driving much of our behavior. Mastering and understanding that framework will really help us to begin identifying and understanding our own personal battles and then begin to fight them. 
I think an idol is anything in creation. It could be good or, or it could be bad, but it's inflated um, in your life to a place where it functions as God. It becomes more fundamental than God in your life for your own joy, your own meaning, your sense of purpose or value or worth. It could be a very good thing that you should love. It's just that you've loved it ultimately. In counseling situations and pastoral ministry, sometimes we'll have people come in with, with issues and the only thing they're really concerned with is the behavior, is I've got this issue or this problem. I struggle with lust or I struggle with greed or I struggle with anger. You can fix that behavior, but it's just going to find another manifestation. It's going to come out another way. So you may be fixing one expression of behavior only to find yourself enslaved to another because you didn't really address what's underneath, underneath it all. There are the things that are, that are pretty much on the surface that we reach for, like food, overeating, or TV, or sex. There, there are things that men reach for that are quickly tangible. They're, they're very concrete things. And they can become addictions. But there's something under that, a deeper issue under that, a source idol, a deep idol. And those are the big idols that those other idols are simply in service to. There, there are a lot of things in our lives that are good things, good desires that I think honor the Lord. They become idolatrous when they become excessive and controlling desires. When they become the thing that's driving in our, our, our lives and ruling our hearts. Every decision is determined by a desire. And so if the ruling desire of my life is respect, it's going to impact all my decisions. And I think that's one of the great dangers of idolatry is what it costs you in the end. Relationships are lost over it. Uh, men give themselves to work more than they give themselves to God and to family. Uh, men give themselves to certain pursuits for their own sense of significance, own sense of worth and value, and lose so much along the way. We can come up with all sorts of formulas on how to break free from idolatry, but if it doesn't land on this, I want to pursue Jesus. I want to treasure Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to trust Jesus. I want to value Jesus more than anything else. That becomes the controlling passion of my heart. I never get free. I'll never get free from idolatry. And I think there's a couple things to keep in mind is that one, Jesus died for your idolatry, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. I think the second thing to keep in mind, though, is that more than you want to be free from these idols, Jesus wants you to be free from these idols. And he, he doesn't desire your freedom in a sense of, I wish they'd just get over this. He desires your freedom because he loves you and he looks at you and he knows what you're intended to be. He knows what he's created and saved you to become. And he has dreams and ambitions and passions for your life that can never be actualized when you're steeped in this idolatry. And so Jesus looks at you with compassion. He looks at you with promise. He looks at you with hope. And he says, I can free you from this. I can lead you into the life that I saved you to live. Wow, isn't, isn't that powerful? You know, um, we just have to look at our lives and and really get to the root of what is really our driving force. You know, I, I spoke 
uh, the other day and I, I said that my former pastor said behind every motion, there's a spirit and a movement. And, and we got to see what's that driving force behind us. What, what is our motivation? And, um, we have to make Jesus, Jesus, the center of our, our focus for us to really get to that authentic self, really get to that authentic manhood, be able to, uh, conquer the things that's holding us back, you know? Um, and I, you know, if you could do it some other kind of way, then I would say, you know, let's, let's do it. But I'm telling you, Jesus is the only way he, he, he is, you know, and, and a lot of people, I, I guess, may be scared to say that or scared to realize that. But when you know him and you realize how much he loves you, it just really just it, matter of fact, it blows your mind because to experience his love is like no other. And then realize the lofty position that he's in. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's over all things and he's in love with you. He's, he's crazy about you and he wants only the best for you. And so that's why we have to dig deep. We got to look into this, look into our idols and see what is it that's really driving me um, and, and causing me to not put him the center of my attention. Let's listen more. One of the things I love about the Bible is it's brutal honesty. It talks about real men with real struggles. JB's gonna come up and he's gonna talk about one of those men now, Solomon, the man who had everything, pursued everything, and eventually came up empty. Welcome back, men. In the first session, we got exposed to some categories and ways of thinking that may be new to you. And primarily, we introduced the idea that manhood traps and sin have a deeper source within us rather than simply being surface actions and external decisions that we make. We unveiled a more robust term for our sin, and that term was idolatry. As we discussed, idols are God substitutes. As one pastor has said, idols are good things that when we make them the greatest things, they become sinful things. Idols are anything we look to other than God for our ultimate meaning, validation, hope, happiness, and purpose. We talked about the deep idols of control, significance, and comfort, and how life change and true transformation will not happen until we can learn to identify and deal with those roots of our sin. Or said another way, until we learn to deal with the sin beneath the sin, those deep idols that feed, motivate, encourage, and fuel our behaviors. You'll remember that we talked about the deep idol of control and how it can reveal itself in the pursuit of security or power, or how the deep idol of comfort will drive us to ease or consumption. We also talked about the deep idol of significance and how it can enslave us to approval issues or the lust for recognition. The Bible gives us a warning that idols are like broken cisterns that cannot satisfy. In the book of Jeremiah, the Lord declares, My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed for themselves cisterns, 
broken cisterns that don't hold water. Idols are a lot like broken cisterns. They always overpromise and underdeliver. They lure us away from the best that God has for us. Authentic men are men who are regularly identifying and throwing down idols and broken cisterns so that they can pursue and experience the abundant life in Christ. The authentic man is a repenting man, a man continually engaging in identifying and repenting of idolatry. In this volume, we begin to unfold how you can do that, how you can be on the road to God's best for your life. Now, idols are nothing new. The temptation for us to shun the banquet table that God has set for us and choose instead to rake in mud puddles goes all the way back to the first man, Adam. Adam, along with every other man we read about in Scripture, struggled with temptations and the false lure of idols. In this session, as we continue gaining perspective on our idols, we're going to look back at the struggles of three men from the Bible, Adam, Solomon, and Paul. All three men are central figures in Scripture, and the false lure of idols was a big part of their lives. A glimpse into their story will help us get some encouragement and insights for our own battles. Their stories provide us with a broader perspective of idols, demonstrate that all idols are really just broken cisterns, and remind us that we're not alone in this battle. We'll begin by looking way back at the first man of the Bible, Adam. Now, we've covered a lot of details about the life of Adam and his passivity in other volumes of 33. But it's also helpful to see that mankind has been battling idols from the very beginning. And the first man, Adam, didn't do so well against them. You see, Adam and Eve believed the original lie. They were duped. That original lie is the foundational lie for all idols. And here it is, that we must go around God and away from God rather than to God to meet the deepest needs in our life. It's the lie that real life, real hope, real purpose, real happiness, validation, everything we want in life comes from things other than God. In the first two chapters of Genesis, we read how God placed Adam and Eve in a paradise and made all things for them to enjoy. There was beauty and order and a perfect relationship between God and man, man and woman, and mankind and all creation. God also gave Adam and Eve one command, one command with basically two parts. Enjoy all that I've created. Don't eat from that one tree. Then Satan, the great liar, enters the scene. Satan starts to speak to them and he convinces them that God telling them to stay away from that one tree was God suppressing them. Satan got them to believe that God was not good, did not love them, did not have their best interest in mind, and that God was somehow holding out on them, lying to them, withholding from them. In Genesis 3.1, Satan is called crafty, just like idols. Idols are crafty. Just like we've been learning, idolatry is built on lies. Adam and Eve in this original fall of man believed lies. We watched in this one scene as Satan appeals to all three of the deep idols. When Satan says in Genesis 3-5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. He's basically saying to Adam and Eve, Hey, take matters into your own hand if you want to really be happy. And he's appealing to the deep idols of control and significance. And when Adam and Eve perceived the fruit in Genesis 3-6 as being a delight, we see there an appeal to the idol of comfort. 
They believed that what God had said was bad was actually good and would be good for them. And in that moment, that piece of fruit reflected the deep idol trifecta. Control, significance, comfort. And they ate. Like all idols, this idol, the fruit, overpromised and did not deliver. Perfection became broken. That was day one of the sin-infested, sin-stained, sin-infected humanity that's been a reality for every man since, including you and me. Broken men in a broken world, trading in true fulfillment for lies that never ultimately deliver. The rest of the Bible, and for that matter, all of history, tell the same story over and over and over and over and over again. In our first volume of 33, we talk about how all men walk either in the shadow of the first Adam or in the light of the second Adam, Jesus. Here we're learning that we can either follow God's noble pathways, walking in the light, enjoying the life as the way He designed it, or Satan's shadow pathways, believing the lies offered by the deep idols of control, significance, and comfort, believing that there's a better way than what God's provided. Another story, one that I found most helpful in my own life dealing with idols, is that of Solomon. It's recorded for us in the book of Ecclesiastes. That entire book provides for us an incredible case study as we look at men and idols in the Bible. It's the journal of one man, Solomon, who documents his intense all-out pursuit of happiness in broken cisterns that don't hold water. Solomon's story provides a pursuit of life away from God in high definition. Here's what you got to know about Solomon. As one of the wealthiest kings in history, he had the ability to finance and actualize his grandest dreams, dreams that exist only in the form of idle fantasies for the rest of us. And yet, at the end of all his pursuits, he came to the same conclusion. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And that you and I are better off chasing the wind. How sobering is that? So let's take a look at the idle fantasies that Solomon pursued. Attempts at happiness outside and away from God. I find this list of pursuits eerily personal. In my own journey, a big part of me wants to pursue exactly what Solomon pursued. Notice as well as we go through these that in each of these, Solomon is self-aware enough to realize that in his own heart, there's something deep within him that wants these things. The first place Solomon looked for life was in wisdom and knowledge. Here's what he said. I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. He wants to control life by acquiring knowledge and trusting in what he has learned. In our modern context, it would have been searching for life in degrees and in intellectually knowing more than others. God has gifted some of us with minds that synthesize information quickly or forget information slowly. And it is so easy to start to believe that the smartest, most well-read, well-degreed people are the happiest and wisest people. The default for some of us is that if I can simply learn more about something, be on top of things intellectually, or at least be in the know more than most, then my heart will be full, my soul satisfied, my life respected, my future protected. That pursuit ended for Solomon just like it'll end for us. Listen to what Solomon concluded. I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all of those who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom, and yet madness and folly came. I perceive that this also is but striving after the wind. 
See, the knowledge idol overpromised and underdelivered for Solomon. It proved to be a broken cistern. So Solomon turned to something else. He turned to pleasure. Pleasure and parties and leisure. The same promises that a spring break beach party offers or being a ski bum or beach bum, except times a thousand. Solomon said in his heart, come, now I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. And boy, did Solomon go after those comforts with a vigor. He had a virtually unlimited bank account at his disposal, countless servants and concubines. It's not hard to imagine him throwing massive parties that would have made a night of drunkenness or a weekend bender in Vegas look like nothing. Massive parties, but guess what? No joy. Fleeting happiness. All he found was vanity. We can all think this way, can't we? I know I can. So tempted to believe that escaping life and responsibility and giving ourselves to parties and leisures would be the ultimate utopia. Yet like Solomon, we find that parties and leisures do not satisfy our soul. Solomon then turned to the comfort and escape of alcohol. He said, I searched my heart with how to cheer my body with wine, excessive alcohol, and in the same way, drugs and stimulants. It's a common trap for men today. It was a common trap for men in the Bible. It's fueled by a man who wants comfort and immediate gratification, temporary relief or a buffer between himself and the stress of everyday life. Drunkenness is a sin in the Bible. Solomon found it not to be a solution for his happiness either. Thousands of men turn to alcohol to escape reality, to numb pain, to medicate, rather than courageously deal with their problems. According to one recent study, 43% of men engaged in binge drinking in the past year. Now, binge drinking is defined as having at least five drinks within two hours. You see, excessive alcohol gives the temporary illusion of all being right in a man's life but it never solves problems. It simply delays the inevitable and compounds a man's problems. There's no life there. It's a broken cistern. It's playing in the mud. Solomon found that out and he moved on elsewhere to look for life. When his hope and knowledge, pleasure, and alcohol ended up in vanity, he turned to building things and accomplishments. He said it this way, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. Can you relate? Not to building gardens and parks, but in looking to our accomplishments as one source of ultimate fulfillment. Boy, I sure can. Solomon didn't just put his hope and identity in the significance idols of a house. He built houses, mansions, plural, along with gardens and parks. The man had his own parks. Now, I know some wealthy men. I personally don't know anybody who owns a park or multiple parks. I'm sure you're beginning to see Solomon continuing to worship at these altars of control, significance, and comfort. The object of his pursuits may change, but what he's looking for stays exactly the same. And he found no solace, no peace, no ultimate fulfillment in any of them. Next, he pursued wealth. His amassing of wealth only left him more frustrated along the way. He says in Ecclesiastes 5.10, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Like the millions of men since Solomon who've put their hope and trust in their checkbook or investment portfolio, Solomon found that pursuit to be vain. Solomon was one of the wealthiest men to ever live. 
He had more gold, more wealth than any of us, and ultimately found out it would do nothing to him more than chasing the wind. And of course, you knew it was coming. Solomon tried sex, lots and lots and lots of sex. Now, some of you men have been very promiscuous. Some of you men are still trying to find your ultimate fulfillment through sex, whether it's through sexual conquest or the pretend ugly world of pornography. Listen to this. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a thousand women. Let that sink in for a second. All vanity. A thousand women will not satisfy. And I can promise you, with his level of money and power, those weren't ugly women who made their way into his castles. Think Playboy Mansion. And in the end, all vanity, he says. Those root idols of control, significance, and comfort can drive us sexually like they did Solomon to find approval, lust, gratification, and the forbidden fruit of women outside of marriage. It's all a lie. He keeps trying to satisfy those deep idols. Next, he talks about work and concludes that work can't satisfy the deepest needs of a man's soul either. Here's the reality. Men are made to work. Work is good and honorable. It's one of the noble pathways. In fact, the Bible calls it a sin for an able man not to work and provide. But we as men are not our work. Solomon said, I hated my toil in which I toiled under the sun. He found out what you have already discovered or will discover if you seek control and significance from work. It will not satisfy. Work, like all idols, make for terrible gods. Another broken cistern. Well, as you can see, Solomon is a powerful biography for all of us to learn from. A powerful case study. It's an entire book of attempts by a man who could have had anything he wanted trying to find real life apart from God, and each attempt ends in remorse and repentance. Every area he confesses is an area that every man has tried or wants to try. Every cistern we hope will hold water doesn't apart from God. There's another biography that's found in the New Testament that is helpful for us as well. It adds another broken cistern to Solomon's list. The Apostle Paul is a big figure in the Bible. I mention Paul because what brought him control and significance, at least in the first part of his life, led him to a familiar but in some ways often overlooked idol, the idol of self-righteousness. That may be a surprising idol that some of us have never thought about. I can try to control my life or find significance in being good in being moral, in being self-righteous. Listen, as Paul lays out an impressive self-righteous resume, which in his day would have placed him among the who's who of the religious elite. It's found in Philippians 3, verses 4 through 7. Here's what Paul said. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Religiously, Paul had it all. But listen to what he says next. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul was worshiping idols, and they manifested themselves in hyper-religious behavior and activities that, in his words, were in reality 
merely rubbish. For some of you, this is your story. You may have grown up in a Christian home or gone to a Christian school or Christian camps or been doing church for a long time, but idols are what are driving you. And your deep idols of control and significance manifest themselves in religious discipline or duty or more church. Rubbish. It's just another broken cistern. Control, comfort, significance, all idols that left unchecked will drive all of us and show up as manhood traps. We've seen in this session that the Bible adds to our perspective on the human race's long-standing battle with idols by unveiling some honest glimpses into the lives of men. We see them in different generations, wrestling and struggling and falling into the same traps that we do, believing the same lies, pursuing the same idols. And the same is true with other men in Scripture. Whether it's Abraham or Samson or David or the apostles, idols crop up in their lives and they must be rooted out. It's helpful to see as a man, you're not alone. Your struggles and my struggles are not original or unique. It's so helpful to see humanity, brokenness, and neediness throughout the entire Bible. It's helpful to see the story of other men and their struggles and to learn from their mistakes. As we close this session out, let's remember that knowledge, pleasure, alcohol, accomplishment, wealth, sex, work, attention to righteousness, all good things that can become sinful things if we make them the main thing. Remember the punchlines that Solomon uses for us to describe all these pursuits. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Or pursuing these idols is like chasing the wind. You know how Solomon ends the book of Ecclesiastes? It's a great place for us to end this session. Solomon says, enjoy life, don't worship life. Instead, worship God and do what He says. I wanted to be like my father. I wanted to have a nice car like he had. Private jet to, to fly on when we went on vacation. I wanted to be able to bless people like he did. I wanted to be respected like he was. I saw my father occasionally. He was busy building waste management at the time. His life was uh, filled with hard work with travel, with interesting people. He had a certain amount of power. It was a life that, that seemed exciting to me. I made an incredible amount of money working with Wayne Senior there. I began to have wealth to fly, to have a nice sport fishing yacht, to live in a big home, to have an incredible amount of disposable income. Three sports teams, we drank, we drank in excess, went to the kind of clubs that you didn't tell your mother that you went to. I commanded an audience and said whatever came to my mind, whether it was to you or to your wife, self-focused. Do what I want and I'm gonna please me no matter what that means. That was my life. An incredible banquet of all the things that the world had to offer but just never getting full, never being satisfied, never being able to push away and say, okay, that's enough. Suddenly I was lost. Happy, but unfulfilled. Something was missing. Well, 
mm-hmm. I got a call from a couple of friends and they said, hey, Junior, we got a chance to go on a nuclear submarine for three days and cruise from South Carolina to Florida. Do you want to go? I said, done. We're there. We'll take our plane. And I was introduced to Captain Brad Fleetwood McDonald. We became incredible friends. He took me on his submarine, so I started taking him out of my fishing boat, and I began to ask him questions about leadership. I thought, who better than a man that commands 120 gentlemen underneath the ocean for six months at a time? And every time I asked him about leadership, he had his Bible. And he had this incredible piece about him that was unlike any that I'd ever seen in all the people that I had met through Wayne Sr. And one day I got up my courage and I asked him, I said, Captain Brad, why are we so different? Junior, he said, you have a hole in your heart. It's consuming everything that you're trying to put in. Everything you do is trying to fill that hole. And the only way you're going to fill that hole is with the relationship with God. I thought, could that be it? Could it be that easy? All these things that I've been chasing, all these places that I'm going, a relationship with God. Well, I went home and I tried to find a church. The pastor gave an incredible sermon. And at the end, before he closed, said, do you think that there's a reason that God allowed you to be born? Do you think that he has a plan for your life? felt like he was talking right at me instead of the 4,000 people that were there. I stood up out of my chair like I was launched out by springs, and I can still hear this voice inside of me that said, Junior, sit down. You look so silly. But there was no way. I made my way to the down the road to the aisle and forward to the front of this church that I'd never been to before, and I fell to my knees. And I began to cry. And I cried and I listened to that pastor. And he said, repeat the simple words and ask Jesus in your heart. And I did. I told Jesus that I was sorry, that I loved him, and that I wanted to know what this plan for my life was. I wanted to be in this personal relationship with him if he wanted to be in it with me. It's power, not Junior's power, but God's power, the Holy Spirit's power, the power to change. I went home and I tried to explain to my wife what happened. She looked at me and she said, I don't know what happened, but I'm worried. She told me at one point that I'd been abducted by aliens. I didn't know what to tell her. All I knew is that I was indeed a different person. Success for me is that one day when I die and I see Jesus, that he'll look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful son. I've been given such a gift based on the life that I lived, a second chance, a chance to follow Jesus, to go to heaven, 
to live an eternal life. And I know for certain that I'm going to live in heaven. My father's the kind of individual that keeps his feelings very close, but I wasn't sure that he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I got up the courage finally to lean over to my father and ask him, Hey, Dad, have you ever prayed a prayer like that and asked Jesus into your heart? Said, yeah, I have. Success is knowing that those that you love will make heaven. That's true success. I'm Wayne Heising Jr. and I am second. Well, guys, between uh, Adam, Solomon, and Paul, that gives us a pretty good picture of the dark side of our masculinity and the places we have a tendency to go. And that Solomon story there in Ecclesiastes, whoo, that thing is big. Man, I know, and I'm glad we have it because, you know, we don't have to duplicate his mistakes and just kind of follow that pathway that leaves us hanging. Yeah. When I think about that story, I think about this quote, idols or sin will take you further than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Yeah, right. uh, when you think about Solomon's story, what, how does it impact you? How do, what resonates with you? Yeah, for me, yeah, all of them. Uh, but you know, if I had, if I had to pick one or two, I would say, you know, really the wealth thing, especially for a guy in my season of life, I mean, do I have enough to carry me through, you know, the rest of my life? And I'm thinking if I had all of his resources, my tendency would be just to sit back and be useless for the rest of my life. Yeah. It really resonates with all of my heart. I, I mean, every one of those pursuits from stimulants to success to uh, women to sex to all of that, I feel like it's a reflection of my heart. I think it, it shows my, the propensity. It gives me language and helps me know as a man I'm not alone, that Solomon had all those struggles. Just his story and his resources allow, allowed him to actualize all those. Uh, but, boy, it just makes me go, that, that man is me. That man is me. For me, it's, it's, I would say the lust and work would be the two strongest yeah. things that pull on my heart. Um, uh, uh, that somehow women or somehow money or accomplishment will really satisfy me and leaves me empty. Yeah, you know, I, I'd probably, for me, acknowledge that because I want to be smarter than everybody else. You know, <laughs> that'd be a big one. You know what we need, guys? We need, we need to know how to win this fight. Right. I mean, we, we know there's a problem, but we need to know how to win. And so next session, I'm going to lay out a battle plan to show us how to win it. The battle plan. Admit the struggle, identify the lie, and then replace with the truth. The lie that I was believing was that I could control my healing. Idolatry takes us down a road that just leads to dead ends. God and his noble pathways are ultimately more lasting and more fulfilling than any alternative. We must battle well, and his word is the key to the battle. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Truly, I'm so glad. I am so glad that God loves us the way he does. And when we can realize that and 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 realize he positions us 
in times of our lives where we can get what we need to go forward. And it's just really up to us if we want to grab hold to it or just, you know, uh, I'll do that later or, you know, just kind of shuck it to the side. But when you are so hungry, when you are thirsty, when you um, are tired <laughs> trying to navigate this life on your own, you just have to get some help. And so uh, I'm excited about what's coming up and the battle zone and 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 really, you know, getting down to the nitty gritty of how can we maximize our lives? How can we overcome some things that have um, perpetually held us back and and you know, stifled us from growing to be the best men that we can be. And I know you ladies are are, are secretly watching and, and joining in and chiming in. And I don't have a problem with that because, you know, um, we need, we all need help. We all need, we all in the struggle together in this human um, battle of sin. And so we have to get to the place where we, um, just recognize sin for sin, you know, and, and, and how it's out of the will of God for our lives and, and that we could um, master this and get to a place where we can have a fulfilled, did you hear me? A fulfilled life. That's what I want. I want a fulfilled life. I want to feel that I've accomplished something, that I made a difference, that it's all good. And I want to have a good feeling after it's done. You know, I want, like the uh, gentleman said, I want God to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, just to hear those words. And and so I'm, I'm ready to tackle. I'm ready to battle. I'm ready to fight. You know, God one time spoke to me and he said, he said, when, when are you going to get off the ropes? He says, you got your hands up, you're blocking your face, you're blocking the punches, but those punches still hurt. He says, when you going to get off the rope and start fighting back? And that's what I'm going to challenge you today. Get off the ropes, start fighting back. You know, let's go, guys. Let's go. Let's get growing. And so that God can use us to the ultimate um, use and then get satisfaction in, in the plan. So God said, Jesus said it this way. He said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. See this truth, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go, this truth right here. Okay, so you either being led by God or you're being led by the devil. And I know people don't want to, you know, you, somebody's leading you. And so if if, if the enemy is, is leading you, he's trying to destroy you. He's, that's what he does. He kills, steals, and destroys. That's, that's his nature. That's what he's all about. And I, I realized that I was in self-destruct mode uh, and it was everything that I was doing. I was killing myself. And, you know, and, and so God rescued me from that. But now some idols have popped up into my life and cropped up and tried to take my attention from what God has intended for me. And those things are the best things in life that life has to offer. And so if God, you know, some of us gets to the point where we, we don't want to 
uh, you know, let go some things. You know what? The thing is with God, he says, if it's good, you can keep it. <laughs> he, he said, if it's adding value to your life, you can have it. Matter of fact, let me give you some more of it. And anything that's destroying you, God says, hey, let me help you get rid of it. And so I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. If you can't tell, I'm excited. Let's get growing, man. I'm looking forward to day uh, 15. Praise God and and going forward in the grace of God. This is just Antoine. Be blessed. I'll see you at the top. Bye for now.